everyone, and welcome back to an episode of the Searchers Podcast. This is your host, Ben. As always, with me is Christopher. Hello, everybody. And Mr. Kevin Chan. Hey, everyone. And as promised, uh, as we said, as Chris and I said in the Sherlock Hound episode we did in what, September? I forget, Chris. Uh, August, September, yes, whatever. Uh, in our last Miyazaki episode, we are going to cover the new Miyazaki movie. Uh, we both, well, we three just watched it in the last couple of days. So our initial reaction, have we had enough time to uh, <laughs> reflect on this? I don't know, but we are going to cover it for you. And yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to throw it to Chris and tell him, tell him to tell me where to go. Cause <laughs> I don't, I don't know shit. Man. <laughs> oh man. Put me on the hot seat first. Before we get into that, let's start with Kevin. Actually, what was yes. your what was your viewing experience? Who who did you go with? Yeah, I went with a really old buddy of mine who I've known since kindergarten, and we hadn't seen each other uh, for nearly two years. So this was a really cool uh, way to just reunite and go see uh, go see a movie, which happened to be The Boy and the Heron, and uh, we saw it at at the amc imax and uh i it, it was a good experience it was a good experience but i guess like if you want to talk about miyazaki's work i'll just get i'll just say it it's i don't think it's his best one okay sorry <laughs> <laughs> it's not his magnum opus he's ruining Kevin. it right up front spoiling yeah sorry how full was your theater not that full not that full. Okay. I, I mean, I mean, maybe I could attribute that to the fact that I saw it on a weekday, or but mm -hmm. or that could be attributed to the idea that it's very, it's quite niche. I mean, Miyazaki's movies are essentially pretty niche. One, I, I don't think the release was that long, and I don't think it was that like marketed well. No, at least at or at all really over here. Well, can we talk about how the American release date was on the anniversary of Pearl Harbor? Is that by coincidence? Uh, that's straight I'm, coincidence. I'm really hoping that is coincidence. What, was that what the the seventh last yes. week? Yeah, the Thursday. Yeah, yeah. So December seventh. I, I, I think that's just how I, I don't know. I don't want to make excuses or be wrong one way or the other, but I just think that's how the uh, Fandango. It was a Fathom event, right? So I think that's just how they they open it on a Thursday, and I think they just do it for like two weeks, and it's the Christmas okay. time. I don't know. Maybe. Did the dub? I mean, it released in what July in in Japan, and in maybe, Japan. The, maybe the dub was being worked on the past six months, so they needed three or four more months to release it. Okay, so Kevin, where did you see it on like a, a special screen or anything? Or yeah, the it, it I saw it in the IMAX or IMAX, I should say in air quotes, <laughs> theater of AMC. Uh, but yeah, that's that's a special list it got. It's not really meant okay. for the IMAX screen. Did you guys see the the dub or the sub? I saw the sub. Yeah, Chris. Chris well, I'll answer that question once it gets to me because I know I'm the, the odd man out. But uh, Chris, who, who did you go with and was it special screening, etc.? I saw it on the Thursday, December 7th. So typical. And I went with my brother, who is a Miyazaki fan, as well as I am. And we had a pretty medium turnout for a theater it wasn't by any means full but i would say we were sitting with 30 other people okay so it was enough it was enough to hear reactions from people laughing or gasping if you will 
and I saw the subbed version. Anything special about the screen or was it just a normal theater screen? Normal. Yeah, no, I did not see it in IMAX. It was a regular old AMC screen. I saw it at a Cinemark XD, which all you screen junkies out there who know what that means, it was a huge screen, like huge. And mm. it was it was like slightly curved and like the sound the, the sound was very I don't know if it was 7.2 or whatever, but it was very good. Like I went with my brother and my wife. And at one point, like the sound was so like isolated for one of the noises. Like my wife was like, what was that to me? Cause I'm like, that's it's just coming from over to the left. Like, don't worry about it. <laughs> but we saw the dub because I went like my, my brother probably could, he's, he would have sat with me, uh, with the sub, he would have gone with me with that. But my, my wife couldn't, she wouldn't have made it through the the sub, so I didn't subject her to that. So my experience is different. I did get the the dubbed voices of all the big names, which right up front, I guess I'll spoil it for everyone. Robert Pattinson is the Heron, which made yeah. no sense to me at all. And I <laughs> didn't know that. Like 20 minutes in, I'm like, where is Robert Pattinson? Or however, however long, he, he was already on screen. And I'm like, this guy's talking. Like, is that him? And it doesn't sound like him at all. It's really bizarre. He, he did like a really, really weird accent. Um for the heron yeah. but i'm assuming was the heron one of these japanese for the sub was was it this japanese like guy with a really deep voice and like really scary sounding or not really he not was really very no. I, I would say he was scary sound i mean he was creepy was yeah. he na- was he nasally mm. uh, like robert, areas, robert yeah. pattinson was just doing like oh mojito <laughs> like it was oh, really i mean it yeah, was Chris, really weird actually, that's the same thing. It's basically yeah, the you, same kind of performance. Pretty, pretty good impression there, Ben. <laughs> yeah, I can do. I can do that on a whim. Depending, uh, it can't be an Australian accent. Uh, you're welcome, Nick. But no Australian herons. No, no, it was a Japanese heron. <laughs> we got that um, that topic out. So we we all had pleasant experiences. I think uh, I'll go into more detail. It was a big Cinemark XD is a huge room, which I was surprised this was in it. Honestly, and we were probably like 50% full and it probably fit like 120, 150 people maybe. So it was half full. It was pretty, there was a lot of people. I was surprised how well, for a Thursday night mm-hmm. at seven o'clock, it was pretty packed, but it was kind of odd too. We had, you know, the, Oh, it's a slur, but the nerdy people, you could, could you could tell who they were. Yep. You could tell who was like the casual people. And then there was like a lot of like just college age kids. I was like, I was surprised they were there. Cause this is 10 years 2023 is 10 years after his last movie. So I thought most of the fans would be our age or older, bringing their like 10 year olds. But there was a lot of 15 to 23, maybe at mine, um, my screening. But mm. there is a college kind of close to where I saw it. So maybe mm. that adds up. Mm-hmm. Again, it was the dub. So maybe I want to, I wish I could have gone to the sub. Uh, maybe if it's still screening in the next week, I'll try to go one more time. And yeah. just see the difference in crowd, but it was a good experience theater wise. I got to even drink a beer at this place. Like they sell, they had a bar, but there was nobody else for any other movies. It was it was really dead. Uh, it's uh, really <laughs> the movie going experience is really sad nowadays. Uh, unfortunately, yeah. we'll just jump into the movie. Uh, <laughs> Chris, give me a synopsis. <laughs> I'll, I'll wait. <laughs> <laughs> oh yes. Okay. Sure. So our lead character is a young boy named Mahito and the whole film centers around him and 
It takes place during World War II near Tokyo. And the entire film is a personal reflection from Miyazaki, who is looking back at his own life. So if, if you're a person who's going to see this movie and you don't know anything about Miyazaki, I think you're already at a disadvantage, which is probably part of the film's I knew enough flaws. that I was lost. Really? <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, I knew uh, enough, but all that stuff you told me, I know all of that, but it just... Keep going. Sorry, I interrupted. No, no, it's fine. It's fine. So Mojito is our main character, and he's in war-torn... <laughs> Japan and the mill the film immediately starts off with a tragic experience with his mother and all of a sudden once that happens it shifts and he's moving into a new home with a new mom with his dad and his dad's carrying on work at his factory and the boy is it's your typical setup for a coming of age story for a little boy or at least a child who is thrown into a ton of displacement and he's already confused he's already lost a parent and the film takes all that as the foundation and then Miyazaki brings you into a as he's known for into a spiritual realm of sorts but the film doesn't necessarily make that entirely clear because it has its own logic. And I, that's probably where I'd leave it. There, more happens, and a lot happens in the spiritual realm. He bounces back and forth between both. And the entire theme of the film, which ties into Miyazaki's personal reflection and the historical part tied to World War II, is around malice and how people deal with the things that they're given in life particularly the bad things and that's what our lead character ultimately learns um, by loving his new mother and going through a rebirth of sorts how'd i yes. do uh, pretty good perfect i mean that's okay. definitely more cohesive than the actual movie <laughs> thank you i had a feeling that was gonna go there <laughs> thank you i this is definitely a movie I'm going to give a rating at the end of this episode that is reflective of me seeing it once. And that's, this is a movie that needs to be seen like two or three times to really digest everything. In my opinion. I agree. So unfortunately you're going to get a rating that's kind of incomplete, but I'm fine with that. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I did like it. My brother was Luke. It was a lukewarm. Like he didn't hate it, but I think everyone was just kind of like, what just happened? Because <laughs> it's a lot yes. of the first, what was it, 25, 30 minutes before we get to the spirit realm or whatever. Is that what they call it? I forget. They call it something Basically different. a spirit realm. Or a spirit world or whatever. Yeah. That's all pretty pretty well put together. It makes sense. It's linear. But once you get to the the world, everything's just all over the place. Something I would kind of... It, which is, it might be a weird thing to relate this to, but uh, contrast this to is uh, the page master where like the, the character gets sucked in to a different world, but that's a lot more linear. And this is not linear at all. Love that. Shout out. Yeah. That was a classic, <laughs> classic growing up. The animation was not as good as I thought it would have been. I, I thought mm. like, Oh, t- we got 10 years off of his last movie. This is going to be the best, 
Studio Ghibli movie animation we're ever going to see. And I just thought it was like, eh, it's fine. I still just think some of the other movies are visually more appealing to me. But there are some good scenes in this, for sure. It's not at all... Like, it's you're not going into a bad-looking animated or anime uh, film. Let's talk about the animation, though, because that was something I was taken aback by, particularly with the first intro sequence where everything's very fiery and the tragic scenario happens with his mother. There's, I don't know exactly what to call the style, but everything becomes very blurred. Background characters, the lines of the movement and the lines of the characters become very impressionistic, I think is the right term I'm trying to use. It's not as it's not as clear cut as what you would find from a previous Miyazaki film. It's a very different style. Maybe that's why I didn't like it. <laughs> I can only point to it in specific scenes. I don't know if it carries over everywhere, if that makes sense. Yeah, I don't know all the... Kevin should be the guy telling us because he has a freaking degree in this stuff, but like the cell, the cell animation, hand-drawn, all that yeah. versus yeah. the digital animation. I definitely don't, I don't think this was digital, but maybe Kevin no. correct me. There was more digital animation, well, CGI and VFX and Spirited Away, if you, if you want to compare uh, a previous really? Miyazaki film to this one. Yeah, and I think really quickly on Spirited Away, I mean, people, it seems like people kind of take that as Miyazaki's magnum opus. It, ben, and I th- you and I, I think are in agreement with this. It's not. It's an overrated Miyazaki film. I think honestly. so. I mean, Spirited Away. Okay, but anyway, I, I'll, th- I'll get to Boy in the Heron because I have a lot of thoughts. I just don't know. I just don't even know where to start. But if you want to talk about animation, I thought that, and Chris, we talked about this a little uh, not too long ago, but it, what was it? It was a minute of animation per month that Miyazaki yes. animated. Directed. So that, yeah. yes. So that is, he is set at such a slow pace as compared to when he used to work on these movies where it was, I think five to seven minutes of animation per month. So he was at a faster, he was in his prime uh, with like the eighties and like the late nineties uh, films that he did. But I honestly, I would, somewhat disagree i thought the animation was was very good and miyazaki hasn't lost his he hasn't lost his skill like at all and as a matter of fact not chris right with with, yeah with with ben yeah well i don't think it was bad i just i was expecting like greatness and i didn't i was let down i was let down i I shouldn't have had high expectations honestly I agree with I, I I see what you mean there but I, i think the in terms of just human movement and capturing uh, human emotion Miyazaki hasn't failed at all in in that case um and the the design everything it works really well it's just I don't know man I I, I <laughs> this movie there's a style in which Miyazaki likes to create his stories and he never one thing is that he never writes a full screenplay or he doesn't even write a screenplay at all when he makes his movies he when it comes to production he draws storyboards and he doesn't even know where the movie's going to end he doesn't know how the story's going to be going to be told literally he keeps drawing boards and lets the story figure itself out that way and when you look at movies like 
My Neighbor Totoro, uh, Castle in the Sky, Kiki's, they have a sort of structure, and he uses that same exact style, which is storyboard over the screenplay. And they they turn out to be really great movies. You have a beginning and you have an end. You get to spirit it away. And that storyboard first style seems to come alive more so in Spirited Away. It's a very meandering tale. And then you get to Boy in the Heron, I think it's even clearer that he uses that style. It's such a meandering tale. It's almost like the story doesn't even know where to set foot. That was how I felt watching Boy in the Heron. That's a fair assessment. I, I, I don't... I think, to build off of what you're saying, I believe that, like, Castle in the Sky, Nausicaa, they just feel like they're so well tethered to the the main character and this mm-hmm. one it's just like i don't i don't think he knew what he was doing with with his main character and he just put him in all these situations and just tied them all together somehow I loosely and i yeah. think in those other movies it's just like i understand the character's motivation i understand where they need possibly need to go you know the first time you're watching it they possibly need to go and they've just become classics to me where this is like I, I sure I can watch it five times. I don't think I've watched any Miyazaki movie past two, uh, 95, 2000 more mm-hmm. than five times. All mm-hmm. the ones I like are in the eighties and ni- like early nineties, but me too. I don't know. I just think the main character is lacking here for me to like, it was lacking for me to be invested in it. So that's maybe, maybe I was just distracted or something. Going off what Chris said earlier about this being a very autobiographical movie for Miyazaki I feel that the movie sort of loses steam if you didn't even know that to begin with like prior to watching this movie the the movie doesn't really hold much fruit if you if you knew and there is a quote from producer uh Toshio Suzuki in which he says that Miyazaki is Maito Isao Takahata is the great uncle and the gray heron is me so every clash every banter between uh, Mahito and the and the Grey Heron is basically Miyazaki and it's a basically filmmaker and producer sort of clashing on different styles different values and motivations as to where to take the story and if you didn't know uh, you know that piece of the of, of the puzzle I guess like the movie just doesn't really hold much ground and so I would also can you can you repeat that for me? Just sorry for for myself and maybe maybe the listeners. Who are the characters supposed to be the real life people? I know the the main character is supposed to be Miyazaki, right? And the great uncle uh, is Takahata Isao okay. Takahata. So it's uh, Isao Takahata. People know he's director dead, of right? Grave. He's he died. Yeah, yeah. He's he's the director of Grave of the Fireflies, uh, the tale of Princess Kaguya, and he's known for being Miyazaki's mentor. Mentor. Yeah. Yeah. So a great influence. Wasn't he the, on... Was he the director of the Yamadas? I think. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Great. Yeah, I love that movie. Actually, my neighbors, the the Yamadas. Yeah. Yeah, I need I, I need movie. to rewatch that. It's a great one, and uh, the Gray Heron is uh, is Suzuki, and also uh, Maito's mother, of course, would be Miyazaki's mother, and that's I feel I think uh, the most personal part of the of the film is the relationship between. Uh, the boy and his mother who he lost because Miyazaki's mother uh, died from a severe illness back in the day too. So really again, again, why he has all these strong female characters in his movies. Yeah. That's a direct influence of that. Yeah. He's basically infusing what remains of his mother and his memories into those characters, which is, which is cool. Um, 
but yeah, just if you didn't, if one didn't know the relationship of the characters with the real life people in Miyazaki's life, the movie doesn't really, it's really just a meandering tale to me. It like, becomes extremely abstract to those people. Like exactly. my wife, my wife was like, I don't even know what just happened. I'm like, I'm sorry. I can't, I can't explain it no. to you either. <laughs> yeah. I, I would like to have known more about the source novel and the, the how do you live and how or where Miyazaki took creative liberties with it. Because right off the bat, since it's based on a Japanese novel, it's already culturally very Japanese, if that makes sense. And as which, for, just, which just means foreign as hell. <laughs> yes. Yes. With the, with the exception of the main theme, which I think is universal or it should be universal and it's very transcendent and it's an incredibly strong theme. Everything else about it is you have to be culture, culturally intact, I think, to enjoy it more. That goes for Spirited Away, too. Like, that's full of Japanese folklore, Japanese... You, you, like, and, you really need an understanding of that, like, Eastern sensibility. And this film, I would say, would be, would be a cross between Spirited Away and The Wind Rises, I think. Mm. Yeah, I can see that. I can see that. The Wind Rises, I think, is Miyazaki's best uh, in terms of the... Uh, latest work but i didn't fact check this but based off of uh shout out to Odie, he, he in his um review he mentioned that apparently the japanese the japanese audiences were extremely torn between like this apparently they all rated stuff ones this movie a one or a five like people either hated it or loved it wow Ooh. now has that changed um over time since it's been three or four months i'm not sure uh, i haven't fact checked that number but he saw it. He said in his review, you can on Letterboxd, you can go find it. Maybe I'll even link it in the description, the show notes. He saw it, you know, in Japanese with no subs. So he's just like watching this movie wow. without being able to see what's going on. But <laughs> honestly, that might have helped you, to be honest, Odie. I don't know. I, I need to rewatch it subbed and I need to rewatch it dubbed uh, again to really digest it, I think. But yeah, Kevin, that was. I knew all that stuff like in the back of my head from reading mm -hmm. and interviews yeah. and that, and that one um, studio Ghibli documentary, but yeah, thanks for bringing that all together. Yeah. Cause that really does help. Yeah. Mm -hmm. if, if you, if, if someone's listening to this and like, it's their first studio Ghibli movie, I'm sad to say they're Tyler. probably going to, yeah, Shout they're, out pro to Tyler. they're, pro they're probably going to rate it lower than most fans. Maybe unless they, for some reason, love abstract stuff. And they just, they started like, you started completely backwards. You need to go back. And honestly, chronological is probably just the best recommendation. Agreed. Just yeah. go with Nausicaa. But, or um, Castle in the Sky, really. <laughs> yeah, I love, that's my favorite one. I yeah. Don't care. Uh, someone linked mm -hmm. that. It Was it you, Kevin, that linked that what? Studio Ghibli uh, top 10 or whatever? Yeah, that was stupid. I'm like, I'm like, I'm like that is the exact opposite. <laughs> no, Letterboxd had this whole list where the most uh, rewatched uh Ghibli movies, and at number one was Howl's Moving Castle, and I thought, "Are you kidding me? Really?" Well, that's that just that? shows that that just shows you right there the generation who's on Letterboxd. The yeah, right. All the kids that grew up that were born in 1994 to 1998 that watched mm -hmm. that growing up in the 2000s. That's who's rating that or rewatching that rather. Come on, Billy it. Crystal as a flame. Oh well, yeah. <laughs> Nah, I've only seen Howl's once. I think I I don't even really, really want to go back. I think it's one of the weakest, and I think this uh, I'll, I'll 
I when I say I don't want to go back, I'd rather watch that than, than Boy this. and the Heron again, unfortunately. But I do want to watch Boy and the Heron again and give it its chance in, in Japanese to see if it's better. And I don't know. I think I was a little distracted with like the crowd I was with, to be mm. honest with you. There's a lot of people getting up to go to the bathroom, a lot of people moving around, talking and it was dub, so luckily I wasn't like reading subs and then being distracted because I would have lost a lot. Oh yeah. And I think the voices I think Robert Pattinson's voice distracted the hell out of me. Oh, and Dave <laughs> Batista Dave <laughs> Oh yeah. Dave ah. Batista was the parakeet king, which was hilarious. <laughs> That's hilarious. And uh Christian Bale I picked up. Um and what was the stork? Was it a stork? Oh, the pelican? Pelican. pelican. That, that was really yeah. yeah, I was. I that was. That, that would have been my guess. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, like it, that was immediate, and I'm like, you're in the movie for literally like six lines. Why are you in this movie? Why'd they get you? Why'd they pay that? Because he's Willem Dafoe, but, man. That didn't make the movie better. <laughs> <laughs> the cool thing about Christian Bale is that I think he he's such a big fan of Miyazaki. Uh, I, I heard that with Howl's Moving Castle, he he didn't even care what role he played. He just heard that, oh, hey, uh, there's an English dub for Howl's. I'd love to be a part of it. And he ends up playing Howl. So it's cool that he he returns to play uh, the boy's father in, in this one. I'm sure. I, I'm I sure didn't the even remember that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure the performances for the dub, though, were. They were, adi- say, they were adequate. They were adequate. Yeah. The, nothing to write the... home about. Pattinson's voice just was grating because it was the accent that he was doing was weird. Maybe he got to see the Japanese version a month just before he had idea. to start recording and just stole it. But I don't know. Honestly, I would have just taken Willem Dafoe and put him in there and just talk kind of no- like normal for your all your other characters. Right. Well, oh, Willem Dafoe would have been a great yeah. Heron, I think. Would have been a better Heron than uh, than Pattinson. But <laughs> yeah, or, well, or just get, or, or, or just get Alec Baldwin or something. <laughs> Based oh, on your yeah. impression earlier, it <laughs> sounds hell. like Pattinson completely imitated the Japanese guy, mm-hmm. which is kind of weird for such you know all these actors that ones that we all just mentioned. They're all method actors, but you're just going to straight up copy the guy in Japanese. Cool, man. Cool. <laughs> uh, Shots but fired. Oh, method acting sucks. Oh, what? Um, method acting does. I suck. just, I don't know. I'm just really disapp- I'm really disappointed. I don't hate this movie. I, I liked more than half, so that gives you a, a preview of what I'm going to rate it. I like more than half, but I just wish it was like, if this is going to be your last movie, and I've spent so much of my time and my just years of my life following this guy, and for this to be the last one, I'm like, it's, I wish you would have just stopped at Wind, Wind Rises. I agree with Ben, yeah. Because Wind no, Rises, the main character's there is Miyazaki, just a creative, like, rebel. Like, right. it's the same thing, so... Why did we have to go here? I, I don't know what did he think he was had left something unfinished or I, I don't know. It wasn't about the money. The dude probably could have retired so much longer ago. I'm not sure if it's true, but I think I read somewhere that Miyazaki there wasn't really a planned film. He just started drawing as I said earlier, draw, started drawing storyboards before it was official that there would be production on a new film. And he just kind of had an had a story in mind, started drawing and I guess suddenly, oh, hey, let's make this a movie. And there you have it. So that's yeah, kind of weird, be, though. I'd be yeah. curious to know, looking back at or digging deeper into the Japanese ratings, the fives and the ones, why that is. Because part of me wonders if it's a, if it's related 
to the historical aspects or if if it's a generation of people that are too far removed from World War II that don't connect with it or if World War II truly is still a thing that hangs over Japanese culture because I I, I think again I think the themes here are are really transcendent they're simple they're simple themes but uh, what what, I think what themes are simple because I didn't get any themes out of this movie well I think Mahito when he's when his whole journey about about malice and how he harms himself and he's looking to harm mm-hmm. others in the beginning and he doesn't want to open up his world to his new mother and all of these things I think are just those are those are maybe simple is not the right word but those are things that everyday people run into and even more so for people who experienced something like World War II um, like Miyazaki as a child mm-hmm. and um, again I'd be curious to know where those ones and fives for the Japanese people why that is right if it's if it's if it's a generation removed if they don't see things the way that Miyazaki sees them because I think Miyazaki grew up in a generation where there was a lot of animus toward America and toward other countries for World War II. Um, and maybe there were people that from Japan who admired or who who liked those countries, right? There's always the people who are for it or against it, depending on where you land on political reasons. Mm-hmm. I think you can be too far removed from you can be too far removed from that, but Miyazaki isn't. Like he he lived it and he was one of the people. I don't know if he if he formally was somebody who was against certain things, and then this is the movie where he's like, I have I have left peace. Like I'm at peace with myself. I have reflected past, you know, all of these things in my life. Um you know what I mean? I can agree with Chris, but I just feel like the way that Miyazaki went about it was so rambled and so uh, too too discombobulated. Yeah, too discombobulated. Uh, like like I said earlier about like just his filmmaking style, which is just I'm going to storyboard this story. I don't know where it's going to go, but it'll uh, it'll ultimately find itself. Let me say this it, because I agree. I'm agreeing with you and Ben because yeah. my brother and I, my brother was very. <laughs> I think he was less than lukewarm about the movie. And he he's a Miyazaki fan, as I said before. Um, I mean, he turned to me a minute after the film had ended and he was like, I hated the main character. And I, I didn't know what to think yet because I was also disappointed. I'm not going to lie about that. I was also disappointed. Um, but I've been trying to ruminate over all these other ideas and trying to see things from Miyazaki's perspective because because <laughs> say if this was executed in in any other way where we would have fallen in love with the animation or the characters the the theme is a, is a home run so like i get that you can't like totally love a movie because the animation is sprawling or discombobulated and the theme work is a plus um or maybe you can it's subjectivity whatever Um, but that's kind of where I'm at. Like, I've been trying to think about how or why this is the ending point. I think it makes sense. It's its ending point. I don't know if the execution, as you, as you guys are already saying, I don't know if the execution is, um, 
where it needs to be, or maybe it's exactly yeah. where it needs to be. And we just don't, we're just not Miyazaki. Like this film is clearly for him. Yeah. It's like a movie that he made for himself. It's like a journal entry in which he's finally found some sort of closure, I guess, in a way, but I, a weird choice I, for the last movie you're making. Yeah. I don't think it's I don't, his last I don't movie. Think it, well, it's see, that's it's not his last movie. I don't think it is a weird choice. I think that that's my point. Like, I think that, I think it's an excellent choice if you're coming from it historically and from Miyazaki's own autobiographical, you know, autobiographical standpoint. I think that's, I think that all makes sense. What doesn't seem to make sense is how it comes across on the screen. Uh, yeah, I, I can, I can see that. Like yeah. for me, just really, I think the point where it all came together for me in, in the movie where the, the story finally, you know, finds its hook or finds finds its balance is uh the moment when maito is with his grand uncle or his or his great uncle the, uh, the way the translation was and he the great uncle is telling maito i would love i would love for you to take my place as uh you know the new wizard of the, or the new world builder and there's a quote that stuck with me and that this quote is really the only quote that i felt was okay I, this is this is the theme here where it's like I want you to take take over for me, but then Maito, you know, finds that sense of maturity and says, "No, I want to return to my own world and you know make my make my own friends, accept on uh, Natsuko as my own mother." And then the great uncle responds, "You want to return to your world, a foolish world rampant with murder and thievery." Mm -hmm. So at that point, you you think to yourself, oh, "Okay, I see what Miyazaki's trying to do here," and Maito finds that sense of maturity where it's. No, my place is not to become this new god or this new deity and create a new world free from malice, free from murder, but it's to go back to my own world and make that friends. That has malice. And, exactly, yeah. Go back to a world malice. that has malice and come to peace. Exactly, yeah, yeah, right. Uh, so that's the point where it's like, okay, I, I, I see what you're trying to do here, but just the road to get there and the way to execute it, it's just not... Yeah, it's just not it's not to my. Is life. it fair to say it's sloppy? Is it fair to say that for you, Kevin? Is, you think it seems sloppy? In a way, yeah. You, you use the word. I, I hate to you use the word. You use the word yeah. meandering, but that just yeah, means I mean, it's like, meandering. Sloppy. It's like the formal version of sloppy in a way. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but before we go anywhere else, I do have those Japanese reviews up. Uh, uh -huh. From and he was. I heard you clicking away, so I was like, "All right, he's doing something." All right, go <laughs> yeah. ahead, go ahead, enlighten yeah. us. YahooJapan.com. <laughs> uh, they have fourteen thousand ratings, and the the film is sitting at a two point nine, which is like wow. Because everybody wow. over here on IMDb, it has like a freaking eight. Like everyone, of course, loves, it's, oh, you it's, know, it's, well, yeah. well. Before you, all right. So before you say anything about the reviews, let's also maybe agree about the title change and how. America, right? The Americanized title changes the boy and the heron, and it's it's called "How Do You Live Everywhere Else?" Correct? Yeah, I guess so. so. I think I prefer that title. <laughs> I absolutely prefer "How Do You Live." Yeah, I think I, the boy and the heron is a dumb title. It is a dumb title. <laughs> there's plenty of examples of renaming stuff for American audiences. Yes, yeah. I want to just get that out <laughs> funny. Of there, funny there. enough, <laughs> December eighth, December eighth box office december 9th box office and december 10th box office miyazaki's film was at the top each day it mm. beat beat out godzilla minus one 
and the Hunger Games movie every time. So, well, I'm glad it beat Hunger Games. Uh, what? Yeah, I mean, it, well, that's <laughs> been around for a few weeks, right? Maybe yeah, three weeks. Yeah. What? Whatever. But just for example, like people still want to see it. Yeah. Yeah, I think. I guess they just think we're stu- we're too stupid to, to know <laughs> what, how do, you, well, again, how, how do okay, they so, live or how do you live? So, yeah. so again, based on the Japanese source, right? Probably the marketing marketing people were like, "Oh, I don't think we should call it this because it's based on a Japanese novel, and those Americans aren't going to know, you know, that's from that novel and this title." They probably just didn't like the title, um, which is all dumb. That's dumb, yeah. dumb, 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 dumb. I think you just keep the title. Because it makes perfect sense with what the movie's trying to say. I mean, they've kept all the titles the way they were for the previous Ghibli or Miyazaki films, right? Except I think Ponyo had a uh, had a tagline attached to it that was omitted for the American release. The, this is the only movie in which they've just drastically they changed, they, they changed the title. Yeah, so come uh, on, <laughs> that's upsetting. Oh, Ben's tight. I think Ben's trying to. Are you trying to disprove I, me? You no, 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 no. I'm trying to figure <laughs> no, out kidding, why the hell kidding. they changed right. the name. I, yeah, I, no, I've I'm done no research on this. We're, we're literally, what, four or okay, five so, days off of watching it? So yeah, yeah. I don't know. While Ben's looking up stuff, I want to go back if I can, if it's a good time to. I, I do yeah. want to talk about Mojito a little bit and why <laughs> we feel the way we do towards this character. And I have something to say about him too, but you go, Chris. I want to Okay, and, and yeah. I, I have a theory that I've that I've been building and it's something that was separate from this film. I had no idea I was going to implement this theory here. So the first thing is um, based on what my brother and myself, when we were watching this, we, we were lukewarm or as I said, my brother wasn't too hot on the main character. And my brother's name is Benjamin, by the way, I told Ben that before. So (laughs) same name. Yeah. Nice. Shout out to my brother. And um, parents had a good taste, (laughs) (laughs) really good taste. I I have this theory with other films where if you have if you look at certain films like um, or maybe even if you were to go by actor, if you were to look at Ryan O'Neill, who actually just passed away a few days ago, R.I.P. or something like Ryan Gosling in The Driver or sorry, Drive, um, The Drivers with Ryan O'Neill. Um, but if you look at movies like that, you have lead characters that are very stale. They are they are non-emotive, in other words. And I think you could collect enough of those movies as examples, and you'd be able to say that some of that is intentional. And I think that when that is intentional, directors are counting on the the world that you're being immersed in and the aesthetic to drive to drive the emotions as opposed to the lead character. Um, Because I don't know, 90% of this movie, how do you live the boy and the heron? I'm going to call it. How do you live from now on? Um, (laughs) (laughs) Because this film, 90% of it, Mojito has like, those both titles. They equally, they don't tell you anything. So I'm annoyed. (laughs) I'm annoyed too, Chris. You can call it that. (laughs) That's even more frustrating. It's hilarious. Not not having a reason is even more frustrating. You can't have it both ways. I have have the reason. I found the reason. It's because the distributor was just like, we're going to do it. Really? Okay. Well, that's that how it usually is. G kids, the distributor. Wow. I don't do not like that. Okay. Yuzaki might be pissed off at this. Yeah. He doesn't care. So I think this is important because I think 
when you have good world building and you have a narrative that's driven by the aesthetic and the actions taking place in the world and it's bouncing off of your lead character. I think some directors are smart enough to know that that's intentional or when they want to be intentional with it. And I think in this case, Miyazaki is intending to do something really interesting um, with that because if you have a character that's non-emotive, he's essentially an empty vessel. And when you have an empty vessel, that could otherwise lead to an example of surrogacy, where he wants you to put yourself into the character. Um, trying to see things from where this character is seeing them. And I think that that could be successful if people view the film strictly as a coming-of-age film, which is what I think this is. More than anything else, I think it's a coming-of-age movie. Mm-hmm. I so agree. Chris, yeah, Chris, you're saying like really just the character being non-emotive was intentional, which, yeah. I, I don't know I, if it I, is I, here. I think my theory is, well, my theory is that it's a, an actual thing in film that people do do this intentionally. Yeah. And I think that Miyazaki is smart enough and aware enough to have done that here. I don't know if that's the case. I, I think it it is, but I mean, at the very beginning, yeah, I wasn't a fan of the, of this character myself i mean in the, in the very beginning when you when i see well not the very beginning but just in the first few moments when you see um ito uh you know move with his father and his new mother to the countryside of japan mm-hmm. and then you know it, it's really funny because i just couldn't when i kept, when i watched the way mahito moved and the way he looked at people just like lifeless eyes and i i couldn't help but I, I saw part of the documentary, I think it's called uh, 10 Years with Hayao Miyazaki. And mm-hmm. it, it part of that documentary, you see you see Miyazaki sort of just watch over his son Goro, who's making from up on Poppy Hill. And mm-hmm. Goro's there sitting at the light table drawing his storyboards. And then Miyazaki sort of looming over his shoulder, looking at what he's doing. And he looks over at the... Uh, at the wall and he, and he sees his son's own character designs for the characters of that movie. And Miyazaki says something to the, to the degree of basically these drawings suck and says like, there's no life between these people's eyes. Like these people look like they're coming off from a funeral or something. You better change, you better change this right now. And I look at my, I'm like, isn't this what you fought against? You know, because <laughs> this kid doesn't have anything behind his eyes. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's I, interesting. You can, you can probably count on one hand. All right, maybe two hands. You can count yeah. on the instances where he had he had emotions. Like he cries a few times. He right. cries when he discovers the novel from his mother, also called How Do You Live? Um, he has a reaction when his stepmother puts his hand on her belly to feel the baby. Um he has and he, then then after that there's like select there's select scenes. I mean, he has a, an emotion when he hits himself in the head with the rock, which is mm-hmm. important. Mm-hmm. And then there's like three other scenes that are big ones where he's uh, I think the gutting the fish is important. Um, I think obviously oh, yeah. the big scene, which I would look forward to watching the next time I see this movie is the actual rebirth scene where he he finally finds his stepmother in this room and he, and he undergoes the transgression against the parakeet the soldiers Um that's a huge scene. And then I think he has a little bit of emotion when he finally meets his uncle. Yeah. Yeah. 
No, I agree. I I, I was going to say that really just that that's why I think that it was intentional, just like the emotionless aspect was intentional. It, it's repressed emotion. It's very until, repressed. Yeah, very repressed emotion. So I felt that Miyazaki was, you know, able to convey that uh, as the movie if, went on. If so. that's what his intention is. And I, I, yeah. I have to assume that it is intentional because, I mean, you're talking about someone as legendary as him who's been mm-hmm. there done that and as you said he's he critiqued his own son about about this yeah oh yeah <laughs> it was so, rough to watch man <laughs> it was so rough to watch with goro oh yeah he I mean he's known for being just kind of an asshole in general I mean, well, well, which is why i think this film is special because and this is what he wanted to do to end his career because he's literally saying to people and and maybe he actually hasn't come over these things, but he's saying with this movie, I have reflected upon my life and I have gone over, you know, my own malice as an 80 year old man. Um, and I am at peace with myself. And I think that's a, I think that's a really strong thing to say, even when you're at the end of your life. Mm-hmm. Maybe, but if it's a it's coming of age, film, though. if it's a coming of age movie, are 10 year olds going to like watch this movie and relate to it? No. Not anywhere beyond their understanding of the tropes. If you give a 10-year-old Nausicaa or Castle in the Sky or any of those other movies, they're going to love it. Oh, yeah. Kiki's Delivery Service. Kiki's is fantastic. Fall in love with her. I know. (laughs) I just think... first crush. I don't care about themes in movies as much as, like, the characters in the stories. That's just the way it is. Like... Mm-hmm. It's the way she goes. It's the way she goes. Sometimes she goes, sometimes it doesn't. She didn't go. It's the way she goes. If he's Mojito in the movie, could he also be Mojito? Could he be Mojito and the... What's the old guy's name again? Great um, uncle. The great uncle. He could be both. Mm-hmm. And he's passing it down to his son or whoever the next generation is. But I honestly Grandson. don't think Miyaz- I don't think Miyazaki has much faith in the next generation, to be quite honest. No, I don't think he does. He's trying to fuel that idea and say that you need to like you need to better yourself in a way but yeah he he's basically he's a pretty cynical guy honestly he's a pretty cynical guy who finds i think solace in the stories that he creates yeah i I agree with that it's going to the childhood innocence that he's covered earlier in his career this film is really the opposite of that it is it's a loss of innocence yeah in in a really really stupendous way mm-hmm. oh yeah definitely no one thing that i want to say though just going back to animation and or like just the style of animation i just i don't know i might be wrong when i say this but i feel i just feel that a lot of people don't understand you know they don't understand the true beauty of what animation is as compared to like say live action filmmaking so you can all you can only do so much when you capture an actor's movements or an actor's eyes on camera and that, that that's a great thing you're you're capturing life as it happens but with animation the true beauty is that people just keep saying oh this is so i love the aesthetic of this animation or it, lo- it looks amazing look at into the spider-verse i love that no look see the thing about animation is that you're literally replicating life as you see it by the tip of a pencil you're literally trying to replicate and capture the way people move in, re- in real life by the tip right. of a pencil and that's so hard to do and it's like when i was 
studying animation in college that was like that was something that really kind of opened opened my eyes into into how these movies are made and it's just it's so that is excruciating work honestly to just try to replicate human life or really by doing that you're trying to recreate divine and human essence on paper and i think miyazaki does that so perfectly with castle in the sky kiki's porco rosso uh why my neighbor totoro is which is my favorite of miyazaki's movies by the way chris it's your favorite too i think right totoro yeah totoro yes yeah yeah so when you look at the animation you match that to the themes you take into account the purity of life the purity of innocence there's an adoration for what life is and it matches the style of animation that miyazaki is doing he's not selling an emotion to you like what disney does nowadays or besides you know putting putting in subliminal messaging or whatever but he's he's being honest with what he wants to show you and what wants to portray in front of you and it matches the themes with with I'll, I'll call it how do you live too but with how do you live the animation the style it's there but it just i don't know it just doesn't really match what he's trying to say as perfectly as he wants to i think i'm gonna play devil's and, advocate again okay yeah miss contrarian so going, chris going off of <laughs> Going off of what you're saying, Kevin, we're on this yeah. idea of um, if it's actually coming of age or not. Mm-hmm. While I was watching this movie, I had insane, I had insane literary comparison in my head, and I think, I think it might not be a coincidence. Also, it'd be very interesting to know if Miyazaki anywhere in his career has stated this as an influence on his work, and that would be Lewis Carroll's Alice in Wonderland or Alice's Adventures, because that book and that movie is childhood versus adulthood reality versus dreams a state of being versus a state of non-being all of those things are in how do you live and it is also um it is a film that has distorted it's a distorted reality or i guess a dream um and the main character is in a very confused state on where they are in their life and they're trying to come to terms in interpreting an adult world which for this boy, Mihito, it's interpreting a war-torn Japan during a very tumultuous time for himself going through massive change. Um, obviously, in Alice in Wonderland, that character is going through a very obvious metaphor where she's actually shrinking and growing larger. And that's because she mm-hmm. she doesn't know exactly where she is. Like, that's an obvious metaphor for yeah. coming of age. I don't uh-huh. know if I'm big. I don't know if I'm small. Right. Where do I yeah, fit yeah, yeah. in my world? Um, Mojito doesn't actually go through that um, that metaphor, but I would say that he he goes through similar actions that she does because I'm going to really kind of play into this and I want to see if you like it or not, but um, it goes with the loss of innocence, okay? Because Alice has a loss of innocence in her, in her journey too. Um, begins as a confused child, again, changing sizes, she listens to everyone. She changes to scolding the absurdities of other characters like the Mad Hatter uh, to ultimately confronting the Queen of Hearts. Mihito inflicts malice upon himself, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, and then he endures a rebirth when he finally catches up with his stepmother um, and then he confronts his exiled great-uncle. So there's a lot of parallels here. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I'd be interested to know if this was a huge influence and or if I'm just grasping at straws I mean, I sat there watching this movie and I was like, what other animated film um, outside of Miyazaki 
is meandering mm-hmm. and meandering and good right yeah yeah because there's probably a lot of animated films out there that meander but aren't aren't worth anything yeah right not worth the time and effort exactly yeah. and i don't know it's it's stuck with me i i so this is part of the idea that i've been trying to think about um i can see what with, you mean there though. with yeah. influences i mean miyazaki was born in 1940 1941 um alice in wonderland the disney version came out 1951 perfect age for this guy to be influenced by something yeah like that. yeah i could have sworn miyazaki's uh mention uh, i could be wrong about this but mentioned alice in wonderland when uh when, when making spirited away oh okay right i i feel like he might have but no i i, I see i see what the comparison you're trying to make though chris i i, I see what you mean and that, that does make sense. I mean, this this kid goes down the rabbit hole. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or honestly. or through the heron hole. Right. <laughs> it's actually just a tower. The heron hole sounds really dirty. But, through the bird hole. That yeah. would have been dirty. That would dirtier. But <laughs> sorry. Yes. So, yeah, that's. I, I think that's my point. It's just. It's interesting to think about. It's compl- It's sort of out of context, but. Mm-hmm. When I was watching this and trying to relate it to previous Miyazaki films, I I sat there trying to think about where it relates to something in animation outside of Miyazaki. Because I think that's important if he's also trying to make a lot of historical remarks with this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I see what you mean. That's something to definitely ruminate uh on, it, well, that's, so. <laughs> that's all i've been ruminating on yeah i've been trying to, i've been trying to think about it more and i i really i can't wait to see this again um as disappointed as i was with my initial right. viewing um it does it definitely deserves another watch and with those words i think i'll have a yeah i'll have a a better grasp of the movie i mean i already knew about the autobiographical stuff but i think with that with what you're saying chris i think that i think that could definitely help someone uh on a in, in terms of yeah just before watching this movie that's definitely good uh good notes to go by yeah i mean on, honestly i think considering that i mean you could rewatch his whole filmography and try to like compare see it to something a, compare it yeah. all but i mean yeah the wind rises and porcaroso both have like kind of like the world war ii looking back on the past mm-hmm. that that element in the movie mm-hmm well, even uh, Nausicaa kind of has the whole like, oh, this is what we've been doing for thousands of years. He he uses that theme a lot, but here I just yeah yeah I don't know. I mean, that's a good comparison, the Alice in Wonderland thing. I, I, yeah. I like that. I like that. It makes it. I wish I would have like thought of that while I was watching the movie, honestly. But I just kept thinking, this is just a boy version <laughs> of Spirited Away. Like, yeah, <laughs> that was that was initially where my mind went. Yeah, and rightfully so because you look at the seven old maids again. That's a fairy tale number seven. Um, you look at them and you're like, or the or the heron, and you're like, these are characters that are straight up aesthetically recycled from previous Miyazaki movies with the big pink nose and um even even the what are the, the little white guys? Uh the Warabara or Warawara? Oh, yeah, Warawara. I like those. I like those. <laughs> those, that, those guys got a lot of chuckles out of everybody I was watching the movie with. You yeah. could hear everybody laughing when they were like waving high. <laughs> um yeah I, there's a lot of 
trademarks there with with characters and how he depicts them and those are certainly his mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i definitely want to watch this movie again and now that knowing a little bit more mm-hmm. and trying out the the sub as well and if i end up buying it on blu-ray or whatever or if it becomes rentable anytime soon on amazon I, I, I doubt it will be soon, but maybe in the next two months. I'd love to just watch it by myself at my house and not have the distractions. Yeah, and right. be able to re- be able to rewind it if I have to and be like, "What did I just miss?" Like, yeah, yeah why? Yeah. What's like? What's happening? The transitions, like that. That experience in the theater was good, but at the same time, like it's on this huge. I on this screen. I'm telling you, this this had to be like a 200 foot screen in this theater it was huge and it, like crazy. it just it illuminated the entire crowd where you could like see everyone and i kind of like when there's like dark <laughs> around the screen so we have less light so i don't have to see you but yeah <laughs> i think this needs definitely more than one viewing i don't recommend anybody watching this as their first miyazaki or second miyazaki i definitely think chronological order is the best way to go if you're working your way up to this yeah the, the, how Absolutely. do you how do you live right how, yep. do how do you live? I absolutely yeah. agree with that, especially because I would never recommend The Wind Rises as a first or second film. Oh, either. definitely not. Yeah. You would have to save both of these for last. Like I said, I think his chronological order is just the best way to yeah. get all of his, all the themes and all the characters and just the stories get more abstract, I say, with time. I think mm-hmm. that's, that's fair to say. I mean, quite true. His, <laughs> his most like straightforward movie is the Lupin movie. And that was his first that he directed. Like it's a straightforward story. Oh, Cagliostro. Cagliostro. Yeah. 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 I mean that, that and like Porco Rosso are like the most straightforward. I do love Porco. Yeah. Love Porco. But I think you can see parts of Miyazaki in almost all of his characters. Sure. When I say parts of him, you can, I think that's arm, his nose. Yes. (laughs) His mustache, his beard, his glasses. Uh, That gleam in his eye. He looks yeah. like an old version of what John Lennon would, but Japanese. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I sounded negative, really negative up front, but I just was expecting like to be blown the fuck away, and I was right. not. <laughs> All so of that's us what. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm uh, ready to I rate. Agree. If you guys are ready to rate, but I would, I want to do an exercise as well after we rate the movie. Okay, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah, that's Chris, cool. I, yeah. I really Chris, you was, first. I re- I'm putting you. I, I'm putting you on the spot, dude. I, <laughs> uh, it's because I told you before this. I wasn't. I I had no rating for this. Well, what would you what would uh, you rate it if 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 I had to put a gun to your head, which I'm not going to do, but I'm assuming your rating would go up on a second rewatch, or the third rewatch, or whatever. Yeah, I mean, initially, I it's everything. I, I don't want to rehash everything. I it's. Mm-hmm disappointment at first but i was skeptical to make any sort of like opinionated remark um you know when i was talking to my brother about it and um it was a good conversation to have because he didn't know it was based on a japanese novel etc cetera, etc cetera. so it was like a lot more culturally ingrained than mm-hmm. uh what we would know over here in america but um having the few extra days i think i'm gonna rate this a four out of five and that's and that is that is high that Damn it, high. Chris! Just put it in a ten. <laughs> eight out of eight 10 out of ten. Chris. Eight out of ten. Yes. <laughs> well, he's doing it the Japanese way. Apparently. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, I'll go next since we're yeah. in that order on the Zoom window. <laughs> for for me, at least. Uh, 
I was really balancing between two numbers, but I'm going to be more positive uh, and and not more positive than Chris this time. Damn it. Um, <laughs> but I am going to be positive and, and give it the benefit of the doubt that on rewatch, it's going to be at least this for sure. And maybe hopefully higher. Um, it's definitely one of the weaker Miyazaki's. I, I think Spirited Away, Ponyo and this are like at the bottom. Um, but I'm going to oh. give this give this a six out of ten. Uh, that's I can feel that. Super positive uh, because I, I want to go. I want to give it a five, but I, I just think, I just think on a second rewatch, I don't think this movie is a movie you can watch once, really. No, and get everything. I think so. you're absolutely going to raise your rating when you see the sub. Yeah, and hopefully. in your own domicile. That was honestly, it was distracting because I'm like, where the hell's Pat Robert Pattinson? Where the hell's Robert Pattinson? Like, I yeah, and yeah. it's like. Ah, ah. <laughs> I was like, why do you sound like Will Defoe? Like, is this like a lighthouse like reenactment going on? Like, what's going? What's what's happening? Mm-hmm. There uh, was a lighthouse in this movie, wasn't there? Yeah, yeah, yeah there was. So many so. Easter eggs. Um, yeah, six, and I'm assuming Kevin's a six. I'm gonna guess. Uh, close. You're very close. I mean, I didn't want to rate this. I wanted to give this one a high rating, but it's a seven out of ten for me. I could have guessed that. Yeah. Damn it, Kevin. Yeah. You're too positive. Ah, hey, Chris is more positive today. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I don't know. Yeah. I, I think we're all sort of in the same boat when it came to the execution, but it it's, I think, a mixture of having high hopes or, you know, trying to be expecting to be blown away and then having to really think a lot harder about it than just mm-hmm. what comes at face value. Yeah. At least for me. Which I don't love. Yeah, I know that's not your thing. Like, but... I don't think movies should take three weeks to be like, oh, this is my opinion on it. it yeah, should right. Be, it should be pretty quick. Like, they're two hours long. They're not, I'm not reading a book that's a thousand pages. But uh, my my exercise I want to do, give for the listeners, since this is kind of our first Miyazaki movie. Well, it is um, the first indeed. Maybe we can cover another one. Yeah. If he, make, if he makes another one, I'd, I'd, he will. He, I don't know. He's 82, and I, I think man, he's smoke. Kevin says the he man will, smokes. Huh? I, I I thought I, I read an article. I forgot from who. There's but... on on Letterboxd, best source ever. <laughs> There's uh-huh. an untitled untitled high out Miyazaki oh, project. Yeah, <laughs> I think he he just said in in an interview that he is down to make more movies. He this I don't time think he he's, can stop. He's a workaholic. Yeah, he can't stop. Yeah, that's why him and his son have a strained relationship. So yeah, he's still going. The, so the, yeah. Chris and I have seen I think all 12 now. Sweet of his movies, but I, uh, I wanted us yes. to rate. Give go. give your top three. Uh, Chris, go first. Ooh. I'm going first again. All right. <laughs> um. Okay. Well, my neighbor Totoro is the undeniable number one for Chris. Undeniable <laughs> number one for Chris. <laughs> and two and three. I don't even have my ratings up. Um, I'm, you don't need I'm to look like, at them. Just use your use it from your heart and soul, man. Just just my heart and soul. <laughs> Speak from the heart and soul. Uh, I think it's got to be Nausicaa and then Princess Mononoke. Ooh, okay, okay, cool. Good choices. So if Thanks. you just switch out Castle in the Sky and Totoro for me, that then that's mine. Uh, but. Princess Mononoke, for to be fair, I haven't seen in like six or seven years. I'd need to rewatch that because maybe it goes, maybe it's gone down on the rating, and hmm. maybe uh, Totoro's. Now that I'm talking Ghibli, if if we're talking straight up like just movies I like, I do like Cagliostro a lot, 
but it's just mm-hmm. they're so it's so different. It is very um, yeah, it is. yeah. But I really I need to rewatch Porcaroso and Kiki's and Kiki Wind Rises, cool. and then I'd see everything more than once because Kiki's I haven't seen in fifteen years. years. I, saw, I saw it once. That's the so same I, with me. A library yeah. rental DVD, oh. like you, one of those days, you know, you're like, oh, I'm a, little, <laughs> I'm a 12 year old watching this movie, and I don't know what it is. Cause I, that might be my first. That might have been first my first Miyazaki. Ghibli. Yeah. Oh, sweet. Totoro was just, my first, and then it was Kiki's right after that. Um, mm-hmm. But just to make a little fun fact for Princess Mononoke, I believe that is the only rated R. Is it really? Because it's bloody. Oh yeah, there's mm-hmm. a lot of like limbs it's being it's lost. very <laughs> very violent yeah rims getting ripped apart by by uh spirit boars and whatnot you said rims <laughs> did i say rims limbs yeah. <laughs> limbs. <laughs> hey he's just trying to make fun of japanese people now what the rims? heck Cruise. my rims oh, my rim. oh okay we, let's <laughs> <laughs> i don't care <laughs> it's appropriate it's on point yes that one is very different it is the bloodiest and i I don't know if that's like we're getting into a tangent, but I don't know if that's like his his opinion on just like since everyone makes the environmental issue, climate change and all that as the right like on the yeah. nail like theme for for that movie. But well, oh, maybe he's really mad about it at the time. It was in, in the late yeah. what, 98, yeah. 99, 98 97. or 97? 97. That's right. Yeah. But I, I definitely like that movie a lot. Um, so, Kevin, you haven't seen that yet. Which one? You mean Mononoke? Mononoke? I've seen yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of, though, <laughs> speaking of, though, one of my favorite um, voices to be utilized for the American dub is, I believe, Keith David is the, I can't think of the character's name, but he's the spiritual boar character that's just badass looking in that movie. Ah. And it's it's a really good, it's a really good casting choice with the voice because if I'm remembering this correctly, Keith David kills it. He's in it. He Akoto? Yeah. Akoto? Yep. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, yeah. It's been it's been a while, but he's, all he's I one remember of the is Ashi Yeah. All right, Kevin, rank your top three. So I am with Chris number one. My neighbor Totoro is my Solidarity. Yep. <laughs> exactly. That's solidarity. Not solidarity. There's no solidarity <laughs> and subjectiveness. That is my number one. Number two is Castle in the Sky. Number three is Porco Rosso. Nice. Um, I like that. I'm, think, I'm thinking about Kevin's Kiki, a flyboy. So He's a flyboy. Fly, I am a flyboy. Yeah, maybe I'm maybe I'm showing a little bit of my uh, bias there. So <laughs> Michael Michael but, Keaton as the lead character in the in the dub on that. Yeah, 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 yeah. A friend of mine really hates the English dub of Porco Rosso. I uh, I haven't seen it, but I'm I'm really curious now. That's how that I saw it. I haven't seen the the sub for that. The sub? That oh, one's okay. very very. That's steeped in like film noir tropes mm-hmm. the people at the bar the you yeah. know i don't know if there's any fedora hats but you know what i mean trench coat there's a, there's a lot the of gold, yeah there's a lot of golden yeah. age hollywood y- yes yeah i love it i love that love that yes <laughs> but kevin have you seen all of them i did want to i did want to clarify have you seen all the all the Miyazaki movies are you in that yeah. club that's like an anomaly for me just in majoring in animation i haven't even seen all the ghiblis all the ghiblis but i'm missing i haven't seen ponyo and i haven't seen uh Naushka or nausicaa those are the only two that I'm uh, I'm missing. Yeah, yeah. Those are the only two. Yeah, but I've that's seen, great. I've seen the rest. Yeah, 
again, <laughs> I think the, all those movies we've we've mentioned are all on the t- like they're all in the same tier. It's just whatever personal favorites you have. Like I think mm-hmm. I think Tor- Totoro is great. I I love that movie. I just think it would have been much better if someone would have exposed that to me earlier as a, earlier. As a kid because it would have been. Your I just favorite, I just okay. what. Would have been eh, favorite had it I don't. Happen. I don't know about that. Castle in the Sky is, <laughs> is great as well. I love Castle. Um, yeah, but I just think it's one of those movies that if you see it as like a seven to like thirteen year old, it's like really impactful. Mm-hmm. Because I just know I, there's like I know five people that are just like that's my favorite Ghibli movie, and I, really, I think Chris is one of them. Kevin, you're ah. just you're just special, Kevin. You're just like I watched it when I was thirty, and I loved it, man. I cried. Hey, shut. <laughs> No, the I'd fact feel that. that. Still, I'm probably, yeah, probably going to watch get it. me at that age. Yes, I'm probably going to watch it. Hopefully soon with my daughters, and I, yeah. I hope, I hope that I just ball my eyes out. Oh, you are. You're going to. Oh yeah, yes. you will. I can see it right now. Yes. <laughs> Kevin, is it just me or does Chris look the Chris look like the lead singer of Creed right now? <laughs> <laughs> now you say it. <laughs> Yeah, his hair is down. Everyone sees yeah, it yeah, up, yeah. but his hair is down. Yeah, it's wet. It's wet. <laughs> <laughs> Look at that. I had, I had to bring up some ridiculous that. stuff at the end. That's just my trademark at this point. Hey, baby. But hey, I I do I do think we should get out of here on time for once. But is there any last things that anyone wants to say? Uh, I think that was a great episode, and I appreciate both of your uh, yeah both of your takes. Uh, I'm I'm fortunately just. Wasn't into it as much, but uh, hopefully the listeners agree with you guys more and like this mm-hmm. thing. Well, shout out to Tyler. I'm not, he he did say uh, our friend Tyler from Letterboxd. He he did say that this would be his very first Miyazaki, and I was I You're I don't just know like if he's dying inside. Felt my heart just you know sinking down into my intestines. But anyway, yeah i I don't know, man. Uh, I I think he's already seen it. I hope he had a good time at least. But this is not the right Miyazaki to begin with. If you're if you're a newbie to Studio Ghibli, you got to watch uh, Castle in the Sky. You got to watch Totoro. You got to watch the early, very early 1980s Miyazaki. That's where you should start, and then make your way up. As what Ben said earlier, start in chronological order, and make your way up to Boy and the Heron. Or sorry, how do you live? I'm yeah, gonna title. I'm sorry, uh, Chris. I'm going to title this episode just so everyone knows why I'm doing. Why, while you're <laughs> you're going to watch this episode, and it's going to be like one of those titles that you're on a podcast where it just keeps scrolling. Because I'm going to put the Japanese title and the two English titles. <laughs> Got to get those hits, man. Get it all sorry. in. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, Chris. No, I was just going to say I love you guys. That's all. Ah, oh, I love you too. Heart emoji. Heart emoji. Uh-huh. That's okay. it. How do you live? <laughs> I live with love. Shower me in love. <laughs> Or as Chris would say, rare. <laughs> <laughs> I shed the malice. Oh, malice. It's officially more Asian than I am. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that, but. <laughs> All right, All right boy. Yeah. You, are, are, Chris, you're Audi. <laughs> Audi. Or uh, are you six feet under? <laughs> <laughs> yes.
Thanks for listening to the Searchers Podcast. If you want to hear more of our thoughts on movies, you can find us on Letterboxd. Ben at Giant13, Chris at Ziglet underscore Murr, and me at Kevin Chan. Find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and on searchersfilmpodcast.podbean.com. Until next time, people. <laughs> <laughs>